Well, good morning, everyone. Um, if we can take our seats, those of us who are in the sanctuary. That includes the pianist. <laughs> anyway, um, just a, a very quick notice for those of you who are on Zoom. Um, Carol has just messaged you. Um, we've got a, what we call a hybrid service this morning. Um, those of you on Zoom are permanently muted. Um, the reason for that is we don't have our Zoom crew here today, so we're running everything from one computer, and it does cause a few problems if we're trying to run the songs and everything else. So unfortunately, when we come to open prayer time, um, there won't be uh, any interaction for those of you on Zoom. I do apologize for that, um, but it's just a, a technicality of, of where we are at the moment with things. So, um, yeah, just to, just to let you know that you, you are unfortunately uh, muted this morning, but that doesn't take away from what God is going to do this morning or what we're going to have happen here. Um, so uh, also for those of you who are in the sanctuary, just a reminder that masks are still required during, uh, during the service. Um, if you're singing, please keep your mask on. Um, hopefully that's all going to change for next week. Um, as we know, everything finishes on Thursday, so um, we shall see, see what happens then. Anyway, um, let's pray as we start the service. Father God, we thank you for who you are, for you are an amazing God. And so, Lord, we want to just come and bring our praises to you this morning. Um, Lord, just come and dwell with your people, whether they're here in the sanctuary or uh, home on Zoom. Lord, we just ask for your Holy Spirit to just come now and fill each house, fill this place, Lord. Um, just be with us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's, those of you who are in the sanctuary, let's stand and let's sing together. Um, and those at home, you can sing to your heart's desire.
the everlasting God, the everlasting God. You do not faint and you won't grow weary. You're the defender of the weak. You comfort those in need. You lift us up on wings like
into your presence this morning Lord with whatever is going on in our lives whatever is going on in the world Lord you still hold us close you still protect us you still are with us day by day and we thank you for the the gift of your Holy Spirit that comes to be with us to be our counselor to be our healer to be our helper Lord we thank you for that we bless you Lord Amen if anybody in the sanctuary does want to pray, then please just raise your hand and uh, the microphone will be brought to you. Let's just give glory to our God this morning. Jesus said to his disciples, Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. I know there are some issues with unmuting on Zoom. We did say that Zoom would need to be muted for those at home. So, fortunately, it's only what's happening in here, unfortunately. Also, the same true with the camera as well. There's only one camera on this morning. Lord, we thank you for that glorious promise that in Isaiah that uh, where we are weary, um, your spirit enables us to soar with you, to rise up on wings like eagles. Lord, we all come today in need of the renewing power of your Holy Spirit. And we thank you, Father, that your spirit is here with us. We do ask, Lord, that where we have become weary and uh, faint, we ask that you would meet with us this morning. Lord, in this place, as we fellowship, as we sing, as we pray, as we sit under your word, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come among us, move with power. Enable us to rise up on wings like eagles and to soar with you. Lord, renew our joy in you. Renew your power at work in our lives. May your power Lord, be made perfect in our weakness. In Jesus' name, amen. So we praise you, Lord, that you are sovereign, sovereign in this place, sovereign in this world. Lord, we do pray for our country at this time. Lord, we, we see what's happening, um, Lord, with what the effects of, of coronavirus, Lord, of poverty. Um, and Lord, we do pray right now for your hand to be upon us as a nation, be with those uh, who have authority, Lord, we ask for you to help them make wise decisions. 
Lord, we know that as a country and as a world, we've gone through or we're going through something very difficult. And so, Lord, we do want to turn our eyes and our hearts towards you at this time. We pray for our community, Lord. We pray for those in need at this time. We pray for those who are having to use food banks and for those who are using the let's do takeaway lunch. Lord, we pray for those in our community that we touch through these initiatives. Lord, we pray that you would just be with them this day. Lord, help them to know your peace and your and Lord, just give them give them a sense of your spirit this morning. Lord, help them to turn their hearts towards you. Lord, we thank you for the outreaches that we do. We pray especially for as well for Alpha. Lord, we ask for, for the, the, the start of Alpha that was last week. Lord, we pray for the ongoing work of that. And we pray that you would just be with those who are attending. Lord, help them to ask the right questions. Lord, help them to find the answers that they're looking for. And Lord, help them to find you in all of this. We also pray for the Bereavement Cafe, Lord, for those who are, who are suffering a loss. Lord, would you draw near to them, we ask. And so, Lord, would just be with us as we continue on in our service. In Jesus' name. Amen. Right, I'm going to hand over to Mark. Again, for those on Zoom, if you are wanting to see what Mark is doing, then please um, click on the image of him at the front, which would be the main church service um, image. Um, and hopefully you can see him then. Is that on? Yes, That'll be on. I, I have to apologise to Tony and to, to all of you because it was only two minutes into the service that I realised I needed to use the time mic. And so we hadn't set anything up beforehand. But Tony's obviously amazing, so he's got it all sorted. Um, as you can see, I'm here today, so there's not going to be a video today. Um, but I'm going to do a bit of a demonstration. As you can see, I've got some sand some pebbles and some rocks, and an empty jar. Uh, but we'll come back to those in a minute. Um, as we journey through the Gospel of Mark, Martin is going to be talking to us a little bit later about sacrifice. So in my talk this morning, I thought we'd sacrifice a bit of a funny thing to talk about in an all-age talk, isn't it? But So I thought we'd talk about priorities. Um, what are the priorities in our lives? What, what are the things that give our lives meaning that, that are fundamentals in our lives? And they're going to be different for all of us. And, and we fill our lives with so many different things, don't we? Might be watching TV or reading, going for walks. It might be uh, playing computer games or playing sport, all sorts of different things that, that we fill our lives with. Social media, Facebook, Instagram, so many others, and, and we fill our lives with those, don't we? Um, and so this sand represents those things. And, and the jar here, this represents our lives because we have so many things. We're all so busy, aren't we? And we put so many things into our lives. So I'm just going to put the sand, hopefully I'll get it all in, into the jar here. 
There we go. That's all in there. Excellent. So these are all the things that, that we do in our lives, but they're actually not that important. There are some more important things that we have to do in our lives, aren't there? Like some of us going to work, um, maybe going to college or school, uh, maybe doing the chores, so helping with the washing up, doing the washing, helping with the shopping, walking the dog, all of those other things that actually we don't really have a lot of choice about. We have to do those things, don't we? And they're represented by these pebbles. So we're going to put these pebbles into our lives as well. Um, just pop those on top of the sand there. There we go. So jar's getting pretty full, isn't it? But I've got a question for you. Do these things define who we are as people? Are these the really important things that uh, give us our identity? Does playing Call of Duty or whatever it is give me identity? Does watching Instagram or TikTok videos, does that give me identity? And I'd have to say, no. They're, they're, they're just fillers. The sand is just fillers, aren't they? They're fillers in our lives. And there are some much, much more important things that actually define who we are as people. Um, wonder if anyone can think of any. Maybe God. Do you think? Yeah. Maybe reading the Bible. Maybe praying. Maybe worshipping as we've done this morning. Maybe serving others. Maybe friends and family. Because they're important to all of us, aren't they? And those, I think, are the things that really define who we are as people, aren't they? Um, particularly God, I'd have to say. So we need to get those into our lives because this is our life. This jars our lives, isn't it? So I've got a nice big rock here. It's the biggest one I've got. I think that should probably be God. Yeah, so let's, let's pop him in there. There we go. Um, and maybe reading the Bible. Let's try and get that one in there. That's it. Friends and family are, are really important to us. You're, you're all my friends and family. You're family in, in Christ, aren't you? So we need to get that in there. Just about. Um, what about going to church? That one can be... I've got it nearly in. It's nearly in. So it's about a quarter in. Maybe I'll just go to church once a month. That'd probably be all right, wouldn't it? But this is so common in, in so many of our lives that we actually fill our lives with fillers, fill our lives with the less important things, the things that don't um, really define who we are. So we need to take a different look at things. We need to sort of change things up a bit and, and get a different perspective. So I'm going to take, if I can, all of this stuff out to here again. And we're going to take a different approach. Um, because surely the best thing for us to do would be to get the important things in our lives first and then work around it. Yeah? So we're nearly there. I've just got to get all of these out. And then we'll get the sand out. 
Sorry, I'm breathing on the microphone. I'll just not breathe. That's not an important thing, is it? So let's get the sound out. And what we'll do this time um, is I'm going to put the important things in my, in my life in first. So I'm going to put God in first, because obviously my relationship with God should be the most important thing in my life, shouldn't it? And then maybe reading the Bible and church, going to church, praying, friends and family, serving others, telling people about God, all of those other big important things we're going to put into our lives. And we're going to get them in. So they're in and secure in our lives. Then, of course, there's the things that we have to do, the going to work and, and all of that sort of stuff, doing our homework. So we're going to put those in like that, and we'll shake it around a bit. And lastly, we'll put the fillers in. Now, there's quite a lot of sand there, and there's not a lot of space in the jar, is there? So I wonder, if we can't fit all of this in, does it really matter? Because these aren't the things that define our lives. The sand, the fillers aren't the things that define our lives, are they? Our relationship with God is what defines our lives. And, and living and breathing our relationship with God is what defines our lives. So we'll give it a go anyway. Let's see if we can get this sand in here. Let's get the fillers in here. Oh, I don't know. It might work, you know. Let's give it a little bit of a shake. Just need to give it a little bit of a shake. There we go. And what do you know? Because we put the important things in first, all the other stuff fits around it. You see, God loves us. And he wants us to live fulfilled lives, doesn't he? So if we get our relationship with him right first, if we get our trust and, uh, I don't know, whatever you want to say, if we get that right first, all the other things will fit around it. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was teaching people about chasing after the fillers, if you like, chasing after the things of this world. And he told people not to worry about what they'd wear, what they'd eat, what, all of that sort of stuff. And then he said in the Gospel of Matthew, verse 33, he said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you as well just like they were in this jar. Who'd have thought we could get everything in the jar when we started out? So just uh, have a think about what's important in your life. Have a think about what your priorities are. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. 
Sorry, I've moved over to this one now. <laughs> so today's reading is from Mark chapter 8. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, what? who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer for many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Lord, we thank you for that declaration of who you are. Lord, we just pray now that as we come to hear your word, Lord, you would open our, mind, our, our ears and our hearts to hear your word. Lord, be with Martin now as he speaks. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> ah. I'll pray for that, shall I? Thanks. Thank you, Maureen. Let's pray for the offering. Jesus, you gave up your life. Um, you offered, laid down your life. And uh, as we bring you this money, it's a symbol of us offering ourselves to you again in grateful service for all you've done for us. Bless and it, multiply this money that your kingdom might extend through these gifts, both at home and abroad, in Jesus' name. Amen. So welcome to those on Zoom, and uh, welcome if you're, if you're here in church. Um, call this the Living the Way of Jesus. We're continuing our series in uh, Mark's Gospel, and here we are in uh, Mark chapter 8. Uh, for many, the, the cross is a piece of jewellery. Um, it's a fashion accessory. Um, for others, the cross is mentioned uh, in that well-known uh, phrase, we all have our crosses to bear, which can mean anything from a kind of ingrowing toenail uh, to more serious uh, situations that people are struggling with. But Jesus uses the cross as a symbol of discipleship. We're called to carry a cross. 
Um, and this kind of discipleship means to deny ourselves, it means to make sacrifices, and it means to endure, if necessary, suffering, shame, humiliation, excuse me, <coughs> my uh, voice is going, persecution in following Jesus. In, uh, in Mark chapter 8, verse 27, we reach a turning point in Mark's gospel. Up to Mark chapter 8, verse 27, it, the gospel is all about um, the authority and power of Jesus over nature, in his stilling the storm, casting out demons, healing the sick, and so forth, and his incredible parables. But when we get here in Mark chapter 8, there's a turning point. It now becomes all about the way to Jerusalem. You will see that phrase repeated in the second half of Mark's gospel, on the way, on the road. Um, and from here on in, we're on the road to Jerusalem, to the place where Jesus will be executed, will die, and will be raised to life. Three things you won't be surprised to know uh, from this passage that I want us to look at. First of all, discipleship means humbly submitting ourselves to Jesus as the suffering Messiah. Secondly, discipleship means costly sacrifice. And third, discipleship means losing our lives in order to gain eternal life. So first, discipleship means humbly submitting ourselves to Jesus, the suffering Messiah. Um, when the disciples asked, or when Jesus said, who do you say, or who do people say I am? He was asking a question that people have been asking through the centuries. Um, some have said Jesus is a great teacher of wisdom, others as a bringer of social justice. Others see Jesus as a wild-eyed apocalyptic prophet announcing judgment and the end of the world. To Muslims, Jesus is a great prophet of Allah, who is second only to Muhammad in importance. But of course, according to Muslims, Christians have obscured his identity by declaring him to be God and not just a prophet. To Hindus and New Age religions, Jesus is an enlightened mystic whose spiritual knowledge can bring us to a higher plane of existence. I hope that you believe that Jesus is both fully human and fully God. Um, not many people, by the way, in our culture do believe that. The, most, uh, the majority view of people in our British society about Jesus is that he was a wise teacher or prophet. Um, the minority believe he was also God. But in the midst of all of these different views of who Jesus is, Peter says, you are the Christ. Correct. Gold star, Peter. Well done. Tick. Um, on paper, he's right, isn't he? But we know that Peter doesn't fully understand what it means to be the Messiah. By the way, the Messiah is God's anointed king. That's what it means. In the Old Testament, David was God's anointed king. Anointed because he was anointed with oil, but also anointed with God's spirit. And Jesus is the promised Messiah, the king who will reign on David's throne forever. The one who will restore God's 
kingdom rule on the earth as it is in heaven. And Peter believes that this is the king, the chosen king of God. Um, problem is, Peter and the disciples have a certain view of how Jesus should be king. They think that Jesus should sweep in like a warrior, sweep aside the Romans and bring God's kingdom rule forever in Jerusalem. That he's a kind of, he'll be a military sort of superpower, sweeping out, getting rid of their enemies, the Romans. That was the expectation. So when Jesus says, look, I'm gonna die and then rise from the dead, this is not what Peter and the disciples wanna hear, is it? And Jesus said, and Peter says, no way, Jesus. Can you imagine Peter taking Jesus aside and rebuking him and saying, you're not gonna die, not on my watch. And what does Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but of men. In other words, Peter is so off the mark with how Jesus will be the Messiah that Jesus effectively says, get behind me, Satan. Satan is speaking through Peter. See, Peter and the disciples had no place for Jesus being the suffering Messiah who would go to the cross. That wasn't how they believed Jesus would be crowned king. But Jesus was simply fulfilling the role that Isaiah had prophesied that he would 700 years before. Do you remember this in Isaiah 53? He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. It goes on, I think. One more, yeah. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, Jesus was always meant to be the, the suffering Messiah, the one who would die for straying sheep like us, like you and me. We've all gone our own way, says Isaiah. The only way back to God is through the Messiah who needs to suffer. Um, let me illustrate. Um, I've used this a few times, but I've never seen a better illustration, so I'm going to use it again. It says the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Well, imagine this hand represents you and me. And imagine this book represents our rejection of Jesus, our independent living and self-centered living. God and us. Do you see there's a barrier, a separation of sin between us and God? Now imagine this hand represents Jesus. Je there is no barrier of sin, no separation between Jesus the Son and the Father in heaven. Isaiah says that all uh, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Do you see where that leaves us? Those who believe in Jesus are free to have a relationship with God. All of our iniquity, our sin, has been laid on him. But that doesn't just happen by default. You have to, you have to pray a prayer where you lay your sin on Jesus. It's what we call a prayer of faith, isn't it? Um, 
when I, when I have people wanting to be baptized or when I'm leading someone to Christ, one of the first things I say to them is, have you laid your sin on Jesus? Have you given your sin to Jesus and asked him to forgive you? And, and then if they haven't, then I will ask them to pray a prayer where they hand over their sin and confess it and give it to Jesus and ask for his forgiveness. You see, that way they're healed, they're made new. But you've got to ask for that forgiveness. For the cross to work, for Jesus to forgive you and heal you, you've got to ask him to do that. And then I ask them to submit to Jesus as Lord and King and to invite the Holy Spirit to come into their heart. That's how someone comes to faith in Jesus. I would ask you this morning, have you ever given your life to Jesus Christ? Have you ever come to him with your sin and asked him to forgive you and to heal you? Because the Bible says we're all like sheep who've gone astray. We all need forgiveness and healing, every single one of us. And that's why Jesus came. That's why he died for our sin, so that we can be healed and reconciled to God. The cross is an offence uh, in our culture, isn't it? The, the cross is offensive because it says loudly and clearly that we human beings rejected Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Um, if you've ever seen The Passion of the Christ or Jesus of Nazareth or any of those um, films, obviously the most difficult bit of those films is when Jesus is carrying his cross and when he's crucified. It's not so much the physical pain and the whipping and the, the pain and, and the torture of it. It's the fact that what comes home to us when we watch that is it's you and me who are guilty. And Jesus is the innocent son of God who's going to the cross in our place. And we have a sense in our gut, don't we, of outrage, of injustice. Why should Jesus be going to the cross? It's not right. And so the cross is good news for those who are willing to bring themselves to God and ask for forgiveness. But for those who reject Jesus, it's not good news. It's an offense. Our culture is no longer comfortable with talking about sin and guilt. Um, sickness in our souls and minds is spoken of largely in terms of psychological and therapeutic dysfunction. Now, I'm all in favor of counseling and therapy. They're really important, which is why as a church, we support the work of mind and soul and of organizations like ICON. Absolutely crucial that counseling and therapy take place. But, but I'm here to tell you that on their own, therapeutic and psychological means are not gonna heal this nation, right? They're not the solution. We have an exponential increase in mental health problems. It's not going away, it's getting worse. So the more our culture turns away from the cross, the more mental health distress there will be. We need counseling and therapy, don't hear me wrong, but we need the cross even more, right? We need forgiveness from guilt, from shame, from sin. There is no 
healing from guilt and shame in therapy. You can be helped, but you won't have your guilt taken away. Anyway, rant over. Second, discipleship means costly sacrifice. This is the heart and soul of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's the definition of what it means to be a Christian, right? Um, there is no soft soaping this reality. Jesus was talking here about crucifixion, right? This is the imagery, carrying the crossbeam of a cross is not pretty, all right? That's what's going on in the background of Jesus' imagery. Crucifixion was practiced by the Romans, as you know, as the, for the worst of criminals, for, for revolutionaries and the worst kind of criminals to make a public shame and humiliation of them. Um, execution sites com consisted of an upright beam left in the ground right by the roadside. So it was there saying to anybody that passed by, if you defy Rome as a revolutionary, or if you commit a really bad crime, you are gonna be stripped naked and hung in excruciating pain next to the roadside for everybody to see. That's what the Romans did. They humiliated and shamed revolutionaries and the worst kind of criminals. And Jesus became the worst kind of criminal or he was blamed or treated as the worst kind of criminal for you and me. Left naked by the roadside for all to shake their heads at and scoff at, right? That's what he did. So when Jesus used the phrase to take up one's crossbeam, he literally meant that bit where the person would be carried, would be tied to the crossbeam of the cross and they would stagger after a thorough whipping and beating I think the Passion of the Christ got this right. It's a difficult watch, isn't it, that film? But it's right. Some people died with the, with the, with the whipping and lashing beforehand. You can imagine you could barely carry that cross because of the, the torture that you'd endured beforehand. But there you were, tied to the crossbeam, staggering towards that place of execution. That's the imagery. To be a follower of Jesus is to be willing to carry a cross. It's a picture of self-denial. It's a picture of putting God first, of being willing to suffer if necessary. It may be persecution. It may be financial hardship. It may be isolation. It may be rejection. It may be being misunderstood. Some of you already know what it means to be the only family in your workplace, sorry, the only Christian in your workplace or family. That's hard. To be misunderstood, treated badly. Some of you know what it's like to be in school or university and be the only Christian. Um, many of you know this, so I'm not sharing uh, anything that uh, isn't particularly public. Um, Sam, our son, is at university in Sheffield. I'm taking uh, his, some of his stuff up this afternoon to, to drop off and stay in there the week. I'm, going, I'm back at college, by the way, this week, just in case you're wondering if I'm 
being, I'm not partying this week, I promise. <laughs> but he's, he's had a really tough time carrying his cross in a house where he's the only Christian, right? He has been verbally persecuted and physically persecuted for being a Christian. That's, even in this nation, it's possible to be persecuted for being a Christian. And some of you know what it is to be mocked and taunted around the dinner table at home or to be misunderstood at work because you're a Christian. For many persecuted Christians today, and I hope you pray for the persecuted church every day, by the way, I use the Open Doors Guide and the Barnabas Guide. Challenging is, is an understatement, but we should be praying for our brothers and sisters who daily are facing imprisonment, ostracization by their family and work colleagues, who are suffering um, environmental destruction, all sorts of threats because they're, they are Christians. Many of you will know of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, he's a favorite theologian. Uh, if you ever study theology, you, you will have to study Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer was a, a German pastor in the Second World War. And many um, Christians in the Second World War under the Nazis in Germany sort of integrated faith into a Nazi ideology. They kind of liberal Christianity managed to kind of make room for, for Hitler in their theology. Um, doesn't seem possible, does it? But it happened. Just shows you how dangerous it can be. But Bonhoeffer stood up and refused to submit to Hitler's regime and to the Nazi ideology. And he ran an underground church in Germany for years and years and years. And eventually he was executed at gunpoint um, by Hitler's regime. And he wrote this, the first Christ suffering which every man must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. The call of Christ sets up a barrier between man and his natural life. Bonhoeffer chose to follow Christ before he chose comfort, right? In his natural life, Bonhoeffer could have chosen comfort and security and a risk-free existence. He could have done what many Christians in Germany did and just gone, on, gone along with Nazi ideology. But he chose to be the pastor of a church that refused to bow the knee to Nazi ideology, and he paid the ultimate price of execution. He was willing to deny his own comfort and life, ultimately, to follow Christ. Um, now, for us in the relatively comfortable West, although how much more how, how long it will be comfortable, I wouldn't like to predict. It's getting more uncomfortable, in case you haven't noticed, to be a Christian in our nation, more and more uncomfortable. Denial, self-denial will look different for every one of us, won't it? But it will require every one of us to carry a cross, to die to ourselves, to follow Christ. Um, I guess for those who are driven by money and wealth and status, it will, it will mean renouncing that desire for money, wealth and status and being willing to be generous with all that we have for the sake of the kingdom. For the faint hearted, the denial of self will perhaps be to abandon 
the idol of security and comfort and safety. For those who are struggling with anger and vengeance, self-denial will mean leaving vengeance in God's hands and forgiving that person for what they've done to us. This is all what sacrifice means, isn't it? This is all what self-denial means. But for every single Christian, self-denial means the willingness to give of ourselves. Have you noticed that to serve faithfully in church and in the community isn't always convenient? Have you noticed that? It doesn't always fit in with the sand, right? To go back to Mark's imagery. When you put the pebbles, the large pebbles in, it, it isn't always the case that the sand fits, actually. Very often, the filler goes. But Jesus would say to us this morning, sometimes the filler needs to go so that you can put me first and serve me. That's what self-denial means. It, we won't always have time to read that book or to have a bit of me time because somebody is desperately in need and needs us, right? We can't say, oh, I'd book this afternoon for a bit of me time. Sorry, you'll have to come back another time, right? Self-denial says, I'll put the book down. I'll, I'll put that person who needs help first, right? Very often, it's not convenient, is it? It doesn't fit with our nice, comfortable routines and plans. But if we're going to follow Christ and deny ourselves, we've got to be willing to give up our plans, our comfort, our security. Um, what COVID has taught us is there's no such thing as a, as a risk-free existence, is there? Have <laughs> you noticed that? Um, we, we try and eliminate all risk in life, don't we, and live a secure and comfortable life. It doesn't exist. I think this is one thing that God has taught us in lockdown. If you're looking for comfort and risk-free, you're on the wrong planet. By the way, none of the other planets are fit for living, so we haven't got much choice, have we? You're not going to escape risk. So why don't we risk all to follow Christ, like Bonhoeffer? If we can't avoid risk and danger, just accept it. And at least risk for something that will count for eternity, and carry our cross, right? Let's at least be sold out for Jesus for something that matters for eternity, if we're going to be sold out for anything. I'm coming into land. Discipleship, thirdly, means losing our lives to gain eternal life. The path to fulfillment, worth, significance, happiness, and eternal life is not found within us, but in following Jesus. This is a great paradox of the Christian faith. If you could not get a more countercultural statement than this if you tried. Listen, for whoever wants to save his life or her life will lose it. But whoever loses his or her life for me and for the gospel will save it. That's not going to uh, be a popular statement in our culture. Have you been to Waterstones lately, by the way? Um, walk past the novels and go to the self-help section, would you, for me, sometime? And have a look at the religion section and how much smaller it is than the self-help section. Would you do that for me sometime? All right, when you're next in town. I, I like to go and look at the religion section just to see what the trends are. 
By the way, the religion section has become much more about spirituality and the occult over the years. Honestly. And it's getting smaller. The number of Bibles there is smaller. The number of Christian books is smaller. Now, if you go to the self-help section, it is huge. How can I be the better me? How can I fulfill my goals and ambitions? Usually with some celebrity giving you 10 rules for life, how you can fulfill uh, your ambitions and goals in life. The self-help section is burgeoning. It's where it's at. Our culture says, if you want to, if you want to find happiness and fulfillment, you look inside yourself and you, you look at self-actualization and self-fulfillment. Set your own goals and ambitions and you will find happiness. Jesus says, no, if you want to find life in all its fullness and gain eternal life, lay that down and follow me. That's countercultural, isn't it? Um, that, that section in Wardstones, I don't think would probably exist. It probably wouldn't sell many books, would it? You see, when we remember the glory to come, that there is an eternal reward in a new heaven and a new earth, we'll be less concerned about costly sacrifice in this life and self-denial and more concerned to store up riches and treasure in heaven, right? Because there's a warning here. Jesus doesn't mince his words. Um, Jesus tells it as it is, doesn't he? L listen to this, verse 38. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Wow. That's telling it as it is, isn't it? If you're afraid to own the name of Jesus for fear of offending or upsetting, you may just be putting yourself in danger of having the Son of Man ashamed of you, right? Um, in our culture, we're often afraid of evangelism, right? And the reason we're afraid of evangelism is because people say, well, religion is a private thing and you should keep it to yourself. Hmm, really? If Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, he's not just true for a few, he's true for everyone. Or it's not true at all, right, logically? He's either the way, the truth, and the life, or he's not, okay? So I want to share that truth with people, not offensively, not forcefully, but if somebody asks me about my faith, I'm going to tell them. A brother-in-law a few weeks ago was sitting in the pub in London, and I'd sent him a text from a scripture, and um, he, he came back initially and said, no, nah, you got me wrong. But when we sat down in the pub, he said, you know that text you sent? I said, yes. Can we talk about it? I went, yeah. Sometimes God can work in mysterious ways. If we're obedient to the voice of the Spirit, telling us just to send a text, say something particular, specific to someone, why don't we do it? Why don't we take the risk? Because you never know, God might just use that. Now, I don't want to be, I'm not advocating being in people's faces, but if we're in tune with the Holy Spirit, sometimes the Holy Spirit's going to say, you need to have a conversation with that person, right? Yeah, you with me? 
Um, it's a tired old story, but when I was walking down the road a few couple of summers ago, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, you need to go and speak to that lady who's cleaning out her bins. Bit weird, but she's sitting here now in church. Um, we had a conversation about maggots, didn't we, Joyce? Because the Holy Spirit said, cross the road and talk about maggots in bins. I didn't, honestly, I didn't know where it was going to go. But Joyce shared with me how she'd recently been bereaved and how she was lonely and how she needed help and friendship. And I said, you should come to church. And she did. And coffee stop. Doesn't have to be rocket science, does it, evangelism? It's just being sensitive, tuned in to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And if Jesus says, go, go, cross the road. Great. Jesus never promises us a comfortable and risk-free life, but he does promise us life in all its fullness. If we will deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow. Let's pray. Jesus, um, forgive us when we are sometimes ashamed of the cross, ashamed to stand up for that we love you. Forgive us, Lord, have mercy on us. Give us a boldness and a courage in following you and taking up our cross. Lord, help us to follow you with courage, with an adventurous spirit, and be willing to deny our own comfort, to be willing to lay down our time, our money, our gifts in your service. Jesus, we surrender all again today. We lay it all down at the foot of the cross and we say, Lord Jesus, take me as I am. I can come no other way. Lord, I pray for those who have never committed to you today. There are people in this room, Lord, who've never invited you, Jesus, to be Lord of their life, who've never come to the cross and received forgiveness. I pray, Lord, that you'd open their hearts to invite you in. And give us the boldness, Lord, to be willing to respond faithfully to sharing the gospel. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. let's finish with a song may the words of my mouth may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart bless your name bless your name Jesus the deeds of the day and the truth in my way speak of you speak of you jesus for this is why
I'm glad to do It's time to live a life of love that pleases you And I will give my all to you Surrender everything I have and follow you Lord, will you be my guide, be my hope, be my life and the way. And I'll look not for riches, nor praises on earth, only you'll be the first in my heart. But this is what I'm glad to do. It's time to live a life of love that pleases you. And I will give my all to you. Surrender everything I have and follow you. I'll follow you. I'll follow. I'll follow. This is what, but this is what I'm glad to do. It's time to live a life of love that pleases you, and I will give my all to you. Father, thank you that you've given us the command to take up our cross and follow you. Lord, help us as we go out into this week to share the good news of who you are to those around us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning.